everyone, a great big welcome to Old Time Poultry here on the Yesterday USA Superstation. Rudy Starks, my name, will be with you for the next half hour. Today we're going to feature Hop Along Cassidy, and in this episode, Hoppy and California ride into the town of Paradise, but discover that the town is misnamed when they are framed by the town's corrupt sheriff and forced to work on his inhumane work gangs. Satan Blue wins every hand until he's finally dealt a card of justice by Hopalong Cassidy. So sit back and enjoy. With action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. The ring of the silver spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early west. Hopalong Cassidy, the same Hoppy you cheer in motion pictures, and the same California you've laughed at a million times. Raw courage and quick shooting have built a legend around this famous hero. Hopalong is a name to be feared, respected, and admired, for this great cowboy rides the trails of adventure and excitement. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy, and Andy Clyde as California. Well, Hoppy, what about our story? It's one about a man named Satan Blue, and we met him at a town called, oddly enough, Paradise. Paradise, New Mexico, a thriving cow town squatting on the Santa Fe Trail to California. So we titled this one, A Jailer Named Satan. We were on our way back to the Bar 20, and as we entered the outskirts of the town, California and I had no problems on our mind but the New Mexico heat. Well, look. We are now riding into paradise. I never thought I'd make it. <laughs> Population 4,022. Uh, not much of a town. No, no, it ain't, but uh, it's peaceful and quiet. And... Yeah, just like a graveyard in the making. Buckles! Save me, save me! Don't let that devil take me! Well, what particular devil did you mean, Pat? Sure, and I meant Satan, that's who. And my name's Brian. Brian Gehagen, it is. Now, you will save me, won't you, Mr... Uh... Their name's Cassidy. Hop along, Cassidy. This is California Carlson, my partner. Cassidy? Oh, the saints be praised. I'm safe. Sure, Brian, sure. Now, tell me, what form is Satan taking these days? And what bottle did you find him in? A bottle, you say? A bottle. I wish he was in a bottle. Ah, here he comes. It is a surprise he'll be getting meeting two of the Irish, especially one with guns. Oh, you decided to give up, you dead bastard boy. Shoot him, lad. Shoot the blabber skate. Easy, Brian. Easy now. Who are you, sir? Who is he? He's Satan, that's who. Satan Blues, my moniker, stranger. Now, Gahagan, off to jail with you before I part your hair with my gun barrel. Hold on. I take it you're the sheriff, uh, but what's this man done? What's he done? Hey. Just wrecked the Longhorn Saloon, busted the bartender's jaw, knocked out two dealers and a cowpoke, three railroad workers, a Wells Fargo agent, and a deputy. <clears throat> to say nothing about the ones he only bruised up. Well, those I hit while I was off balance here wouldn't hold that against a poor man, now, would you? And I remember hitting no deputy. Uh, 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 Hoppy, uh, do you think he did all of that? Brian. I guess you owe the sheriff a little time. You better go along. No, no, please. You'd not let him take me. Not him. Do you trot peaceful or do I drag your carcass? No, I won't let you. I'll kill you. Oh, no, no, it ain't. Oh, Hoppy, Hoppy, he's got my gun. Put that down, you wall-eyed galoot. 
I'm the sheriff. You're not taking Brian Gehagen to die for you. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory like my mother always wanted. Brian. Yeah, it's his home. I'm sending ye Satan. I'll be... Ooh, me hand, me hand. You shut me hand off. I only creased it, Brian. I had to make you drop the gun. Oh, and you think of Cassidy you do this to a Gehagen? Oh, it is a foul black day for the Irish. Cassidy, eh? Well, I'm thanking you. Now, Gehagen, I've had enough trouble today. Well, drop. Consign your draft. I've got a skull just like pig on this critter. That wasn't necessary, Sheriff. He wasn't. Ah, there. you just let me turn to my own arrest in Cassidy. Good day to you. Well, boss, my galaxies. Hoppy, that's some tough lawman. Uh, no wonder Gahagan didn't want to go with him. Yeah. I'm wondering. Uh, Hoppy, watch that curiosity of yours. Gahagan's been in jail for fighting before this. That's a cinch. Now, how come it suddenly scares him so much that rather than go to this particular jail, he'd commit murder? Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, A Jailer Named Satan. Hoppy in California's entry into Paradise, New Mexico, was stopped when a big man named Brian Gehagen begged them to save him from jail and Sheriff Satan Blue. Gehagen is stopped from killing the sheriff only by Hoppy's quick shooting. Now Hoppy puzzles Gehagen's strange fear of Satan Blue. Ah, uh, it doesn't set right, California. I can see an Irish railroad hand getting into a scrap. But to try and kill the sheriff rather than pay a fine or spend a few days in jail, no. Well, here's the Longhorn Saloon where Gehagen had his fight. Yeah, let's try it. Satan Blue. Odd nickname. Makes a right pretty combination. Uh, but the sheriff sure didn't look like no Satan. Uh, more, uh, I'd say, like a dirt farmer. Don't make any mistake of underestimating that hombre. Those cold eyes of his belong to a gunhawk, not to a dirt farmer. Gunhawk? Oh, no, Hoppy. Uh, uh bartender. Did you see the way he polacks Gehagen? No amateur ever swung a six gun like that. Yeah, how's the strangers? Bartenders laid up. I'm the owner, Jake Loomis, and what do you have? 40 rod or be in? Please, no fighting, as you can see what hey, happens. Hey, 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 whoa, hmm? slow down to a walk. Hoppy, I think this hombre slipped his tonsil. Yeah, maybe we can get some information. <laughs> this I got. Jake Loomis knows everything that goes on in paradise. What's your particular hankering? Sheriff Satan Blue, his brand, and maybe... Satan! Mister, mister, get out. I, I like being healthy. Hoppy, oh, he's scared stiff. Uh-huh. Why, Loomis? You two don't hear good. Loomis said get out. Uh, Mr. Callender, I didn't tell him anything. Oh, shut up, you chattering old weasel. California, what would you say he is? Snake or skunk? Well, Hoppy, from his smell, it's I'd say... It's been a long time since I shot a cowpoke, but... Oh, you bastard! I'm still trying to warn you, Calendar. I'd hate to have to stitch a couple of new buttonholes on that pretty shirt. Why, oh, you slick tongue? Hold it. I'm not wasting another punch. You, you beat me to the draw. I'll kill you for this. Yeah? Calendar, if I was you, I'd pull my freight fast. Hoppy's guns are hair trigger, and if he accidentally had to sneeze... Uh, I'm well, gone, I'm gone. Well, I saw it, but I don't believe it. You beat Wes Callender to the draw. Why, he didn't even clear leather. 
But you hombres better scat. He's Satan's foreman. Foreman of what? The jail? D -d -d Don't ask about Satan, I told you. Ain't nobody in paradise who'll talk about him. Uh, I contradict. I contradict. Oh. My goodness, yes. I, Anthony Sidwell, will talk about Satan. It's not a worldly Satan that I fear. Mm, peanuts. You've lost me, friend. Peanuts? Well, Satan eats peanuts. Disappointing devil. Uh, but a big man in these parts, sir. Owns a whole desert north of town. I'm a big man, too. Own the hotel, two stores. How come a brave man would be scared to go to Satan's jail? Uh, I'm afraid it's you that's lost me. Uh, but the answers might be intriguing. Uh, my goodness, yes. Interesting. Uh, why don't you ask Satan? He'd know. Uh-huh. Why not? Come on, California. We're going to jail. <laughs> see Brian Gahagan, huh? Yeah, for one thing, Sheriff. Just call me Satan. Everybody does. I'll bet that ain't all. <laughs> That's darn possible that blast me every day. Sorry I can't see no prisoner rule my jail. What? But every jail permits visitors. I got a special jail. You want to know why it's so special? It's because I run. Me. I'm the reason. Well, I'll be horn swoggled. Ah, not here, please. I'd have to plug you. Uh, who's judge of this town's court? Well, I reckon that it'd be me. You? Well, maybe I should see the mayor if there is one. Sure, take a good squint. He's in my boots. Doggone. Uh, is there anything you ain't? Now, uh, let's see. Uh, I wish you Perkins is dog catcher, but I reckon I'm the boss politician here, so the both of you get out. Well, I jail you, but... Look out! Hit the floor! I'll get him! Now, let's take a look. Sure, but they ain't no hurry. I didn't miss that blasted ambusher. Ah, you sure didn't miss. He's just a boy. Well, he's old enough to trigger a six-gun. Pedro Morales, yeah, yeah, regular criminal. You don't look like no criminal to me. I don't recognize you, sonny. But I arrested his brother, Felipe, just a month ago. Hold him still for a couple of offenses. Uh, bad blood there, yeah? Yeah, holding his brother. That wouldn't be why he wanted to take a shot at uh, you, would it? You better just take warning. No one crosses Satan blue and lives, you savvy. <laughs> Uh, we oughtn't to be looking over Satan's land like this. Uh, let's ride on, huh? Uh, I feel a little responsible for Brian Gahagan. And I don't like the way Satan tried to run us out. Funny, this is all desert. Too bad it's so far to those hills. Worker River runs through them. I'll bet that's it. He figures to get that water. Hardly. That's 20 miles away. It'd cost a fortune to dig an irrigation system that far. Yeah, yeah. That would be a powerful lot of digging. Well, let's cut down the other side of this rise and head... California, take a look. Well, doggone my Sunday britches. Man, a whole crew of them digging. Hoppy, hoppy, them must, must be the... prisoners from Satan's jail. No wonder we couldn't get to see Brian. I bet he's on his way out here. Some dirty poltetric. Making them hombres work in this blazing sun why, why, why it ain't legal, it's... I wonder... Sure, a little bit of business, but I have a feeling Satan has protected himself by some legality. Yeah, but we're not protected. 
we're trespassing. Trespassing? Uh, we ain't hurt nothing. State's gonna be awful mad if he finds us nosing around out here, though. So mad I have a hunch our lives wouldn't be worth a plug peso. Uh-oh, let's go. Ryder's coming. Satan's crew! Point leather, faster! You think I'm dragging my feet? I'm scared stiff! We got to get the time before they... California. The more men ahead of us, and the both sides copy. We're trapped! Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, A Jailer Named Satan. In the course of investigating the strange jailer Satan Blue's desert lands, Hoppy in California found he was using prisoners from his jail to dig irrigation trenches. Then, as they start back to paradise, Hoppy in California are trapped by Satan's men. A few hours later... They're in Satan's jail in paradise. Well, well, well. <clears throat> Your boys did a nice job catching these here two calendar. Uh, have a drink of red liquor, Cassidy? Oh, thanks, but we'd like to leave. What are we charged with? Trespassing? What's the fine? Mm, charges, huh? Uh, uh, let me see. Trespassing, obstructing justice, resisting arrest, uh, disturbing the peace. Wait, we didn't say... Shut up! That's another offense. Dimp to this here court. Well, I'd say 90 days was about fair to start. 90 days? That's my verdict. Now you can spend it in the fresh air, which is mighty nice of me. Yes, sir. Uh, you can do the full 90 days digging on the ranch. I'd rather be in a cell, but this is ridiculous. Those charges are false and you know it. Well, sure I do. I made them up, didn't I? <laughs> but your problem is who's going to believe you. You ain't seeing nobody until sentences up. <laughs> and that may be longer than you think. Hoppy, let's get back, Coach. I'd just as soon bust a cap your way as not. Now, we're going to make it legal and proper, so if you two will just sign these papers. Nothing doing. Please, Cassidy. They're only statements of voluntary request for work on the prison farm. Of course, that's my ranch, naturally. We'll sign nothing. Now, let's see. I'm sure that I could do this, but then I reckon I'll just have to sacrifice one of you. Sign it, Cassidy. I plugged the old waddy. Why, Henry, no good sound. Come on, you don't. All right, Satan. We'll both sign. You win this hand. This hand? Cassidy, here's a bit of information. Satan wins every hand. Bar none. Satan, this is the slickest scheme yet. The rate we're going, we'll have this irrigation system done inside a year. Yep. This land will be worth a thousand times what I paid for it. <laughs> And it's causing me nary a red sick. When this land has water on it, I'll sell it to a hundred new ranchers. Why, paradise will be, uh, well, paradise. <laughs> Especially for a barkeep and store owner. Yeah, makes me feel kind of choked up being such a big help to progress. Yeah. Hey, Thompson! Hey! Don't let them rest on their shovels. 
Make them dig, man. I'll give them a little encouragement. Do that. But uh, I got to get back to town. I just can't stand to see these poor critters working in this sun. Uh, seems such a shame that men can't stay on the street and narrow. Uh, adios. Adios. All right, you prisoners, put your backs in those shovels. Hagen, speed it up. Would you like now for me to use two shovels at once, Mr. Callan? Never mind the jokes, bend to it. <laughs> well, Cassidy, you don't seem so tough swinging a shovel. Uh, just stay around, Calendar. We'll have words when I get through with this crooked sentence. It's going to be some while. Haven't you asked around? Oh, what you... What you talking about? Uh, talk to old Frank. He started with a 30-day sentence. That was... I guess that was four months ago. He's only got 60 days more to go. Seems when it's time to let him go, he gets into trouble, and Satan has to tack on a little extra. You mean no one finishes here until the job is finished? Smart man. All right, you've had your conversation. Now dig. Sure, sure. What about Pedro Morales' brother there, Felipe? He can't take much more of the sun. So what? He can die for all of me. Dig, I said, dig! Oh, man, this heat is getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see. What day is it? I, I just lost track of time. Yeah, we've been doing this for four days. Hey, Buckles, take a look at Felipe. Well, he looks like he's ready to... Gahagan, he's collapsing. Yeah, I'll see to him. Calendar, Felipe's ill. Bring water. Uh, he was such a young lad. Was. He's... Uh, the sun was too much for him. All right, all right. Back to work. I'll take care of the kid. Then you must be an undertaker as well as a skunk. The lad's gone. What? But... Uh, he don't even work in a month. Well, at least he's where you can't touch him, Calendar. Sure. But you're not. Oh, oh you black-hearted. Pick up, Cahagan, or I'll blast your head off. Thompson, make him do extra work. We've lost a man. If they try to rest, use your rifle butt. That'll give him energy. How's the noggin, Cassidy? Uh, full of jumping hop toads. You know, I was thinking, a few more days in the sun like today. And we'll be joining poor Felipe Morales, which is a fact. But if it's escape you're thinking of, don't forget the five who've tried it. Three shot like dogs, rest their souls. Yeah, and the other two beaten to a pulp by calendar. A bad sis to that man. Still, I have an idea how one of us may get away. Brian. How'd you like a good fight? A fight, is it? Um, well, I'm a peaceful man, but... If I could get away in the confusion of a brawl, I may be able to lick this Satan and his whole setup. With a brawl, I can start. But how do you plan to escape? The guards will come in to break it up, leaving the outside clear for a moment. Now, if by accident you could toss that table against the thin planks of the bunkhouse wall, and so hard that one of the planks broke open enough for me to... <laughs> it will be. But you'll have to slip through fast. It won't take them long to spot a hole. When you lift the table, I'll be starting. 
good luck to you. I'm off to indulge me favorite sport. Hoppy, are you sure you can get help for us? Any chance is better than dying like poor Felipe. Sure, you spare me. You hit Brian Gehagen, will you? Brian's picking up the table. So long, California. I'll be back for you. Good luck, Hoppy. I think I'll join the fight. Use your rifle, but get that Gehagen. Get away from me, you murderer. Good work, Walt. Ah, into your bunk, all of you. Toss Gehagen into his bunk, Walter. Wait, one of the prisoners is missing. Cassidy! Can't have gotten far. Let's get him! Yeah, but Satan, I didn't know Gahagan was gonna start a fight. Shut up! You're a fool, Calder. The first thing we gotta do is repair the damage that you let happen. All right, all right. Pipe down, you hombres. Satan's got a word for you. Yeah, bunch of smart critters, you be. Well, here's a present. <laughs> Brian, it's Hoppy's hand. That's right. His body's buzzard bait on the hill. <laughs> Took us two days to catch him, but we did. Now... Maybe this will teach you scoundrels to stop trying to escape. Ain't nobody escaping from Satan Blue. Tis a devil you be, Satan. I don't see how the real one can stand the competition. Governor, if that hombre talks again, slap a slug in his mouth. Now listen close. That jailbreak night four last busted my patience. I've been kind to you up till now. Yeah, maybe that's what poor Felipe died of, your kindness. <laughs> sure. Now, uh, I'm making an example of you, Carlson. You're going to be just as dead as Cassidy. That's not very dead, Satan. You've been fibbing to the boys. What? Hoppy! Oh, I'm glad to see you. Where's the army? Right here. Satan, meet a lawyer friend, Joe Wilson. Never mind, Cassidy. From what we overheard, the only place I want to meet him is in court. So, you will listen. Enough to hear you admit responsibility for Felipe Morales' death and plan the murder of that man there, California Carlson. I reckon so. Have there, cover them. Uh, guns? Why, what's the meaning of this, Sheriff? Just call me Satan. Cassidy, I thought you had better sense than to think that this well-fed lawyer'd protect you. Well, you always did like things legal, Satan. Sure. As judge and jury, I hereby sentence you to die. Oh. I'll get over against that wall. Why, but this is crazy. You can't just sentence him, man. Oh, uh, I almost Why? forgot you. Sure. Get over there with it. Why? Come on, get So you went for help. There's a fine lot of help. Oh, Hoppy, we need a gun. It's not a lawyer. Shut up there. Cassidy, you ready? We ain't got no rope to hang them proper, so you best plug them. I'm ready, Satan. Give the word. Any last words from you fellas before execution? I think there's been enough talk, Satan. So do I. It is a off, calendar. Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy. Easy, folks. We're all right. Thanks for downing calendar, Loomis. 
You townspeople heard enough? Well, I'll say, thanks to you posting us outside. Okay, fellas, take Satan to jail. Better take his partner, too. Uh, no, hold it, Sidwell. Sidwell? Satan had the power, but there had to be money behind him. Only one man in paradise wasn't afraid of Satan. And somehow he didn't strike me as that brave. Sidwell. This is preposterous. My man's crazy. There's plenty of evidence in the land records. I stopped and checked them. Sidwell owns half this desert land. I don't imagine Satan wants Sidwell to go free anyhow. How about it, Uh, Satan? Don't say anything. Don't tell them anything. I'll pay. Oh, shut your trap, Sidwell, you dead blasted old woman. We're caught square to the mark. Take it like the man that you ain't. That's it. Take them both, man. Lock them up tight. You can't do this to me. Let me go. I'm a good man. Don't lock them. Well, that ends that. California, Brian, the rest of the Paradise people going home? Yeah, Hoppy. Uh, but would you kindly tell me how you got them here in the first place? And who the devil is this Joe Wilson? After I escaped, I knew the only way to beat Satan was to get into town and take away his power. So I rode out, got Wilson, and brought him to Paradise. After a town meeting with him backing me... We all came out to set the trap for Satan. Well, it made a big difference knowing Governor Joe Wilson was riding with us, Hoppy. Satan had us all pretty scared, but when the governor himself... Uh, Loomis, uh, I'm sorry to trick you, but this Joe Wilson isn't the Governor Joe Wilson. What's that? Well, but he said, uh, we thought... Well, who is he? (laughs) A friend of mine. Part-time lawyer, part-time cook. Works on a ranch east of here. I knew I didn't have time to get the Santa Fe in bank to get the real governor, so I drafted this Joe Wilson and hope no one in paradise knew what the governor looked like. Well, I'll be darned, a two-bit lawyer, and we thought he was... Go- That's all you needed, Loomis, to think the governor was riding with you. It gave you the courage. But I have a hunch you'll never let a man like Satan ride herd on your town again. Yeah, it's mighty fine to be free again, regardless. And tonight, Brian Gehagen's going to have the sweetest fight ever seen in New Mexico. <laughs> I doubt it, Brian. Loomis here was elected temporary sheriff. You wrecked his saloon, Remember? And from the look in his eye, I'd say you were due to spend the next 30 days in jail. Oh, no! (laughs) Hoppy does it again. The terror-stricken townspeople of Paradise were able to fight Satan with his own weapons when they thought the governor was riding with Hoppy to their rescue. In Hoppy's next story, he finds himself up against a ruthless outlaw who manages to keep his identity well hidden as the man in the yellow mask. Don't miss this next adventure with Hopalong Cassidy. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White, Jr. A jailer named Satan was written by Herb Purdom with original music under the personal direction of Albert Glasser. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production.
Hi, this is Kim Bragg, and up next is my good buddy, Walden Hughes. Jack Armstrong from January 13th, 1941. Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Wave the flag for Hudson High, boys. Show them how we stand. Every shot he be champions. Known throughout the land. Wheaties, breakfast of champions, bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Say, when the records show you that two different basketball teams both seem to have the same power and speed and playing ability, which team do you cheer for? Well, it's my guess that you'll be giving your support to the team you like best. And right there, you have a perfect system for picking a real champion training breakfast for yourself this time of year. When you make up your mind to eat a training breakfast of whole wheat, the nourishing grain recommended in the winter diet of many great athletes, you'll want to know whether you should take that whole wheat breakfast in hot cooked form or in a tempting, crunchy, ready-to-eat form like those toasted flakes called Wheaties. Well, here's the answer for you, straight from headquarters. In the first place, we find that the heat of cooking doesn't count for a thing at helping to keep you warm in chilly weather. It's the number of fuel energy units a food gives you that's most important. And listen to this. Wheaties hand you the same number of these valuable fuel energy units to help keep you warm as you'd get from an equal amount of whole wheat served steaming hot from the kitchen stove. You see? That leaves the choice of your whole wheat training breakfast for winter strictly up to you. If you've been eating Wheaties for breakfast, if you prefer the champion flavor of those good whole wheat flakes, you can go right on enjoying your Wheaties all winter long without having to switch over even once to a hot cooked breakfast. Now I'm asking you, isn't that the kind of a break a fellow or girl could want? You help yourself to a big bowl full of nourishing whole wheat. Just the kind of food champion athletes need to help them keep on the go. And with that fine whole wheat nourishment, you're getting all the extra special goodness of those crunchy Wheaties flakes. All the keen flavor and real satisfaction you'd expect in a champion training breakfast these winter mornings. You'd better put in your bid for Wheaties right now. Eat them with lots of milk or cream and a glass of fruit juice. That's a real athlete's fuel energy breakfast. A genuine breakfast of champions. And it's yours to enjoy the minute you get those Wheaties. And now, Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. <laughs> Jack, Billy, Betty, and Uncle Jim are pushing ahead along a rough trail in the wild Zamboanga hill country of Mindanao. Michelle, their Filipino friend, is leading the way with a pack horse that carries her supplies and equipment. They're going to the village of Molita to find an old Moro peddler who knows something of the missing Professor Loring. And they suspect this peddler of having a hand in the threatened uprising among the tribes. Jack and Uncle Jim know that their progress has been observed by watchers stationed in the hills. And they're keeping a close eye on the trail ahead. Right now, they are approaching a questionable fork in the trail. 
and they are deciding which fork to take. Listen. This fork in the trail looks like all the other forks we've passed, Jack. Which one do we take, the right or the left? Wait a minute, Billy. I'll unhook the pedometer from my belt and see what it reads. Here. It says exactly three and a half miles. Then we better right here, Jack. Take the right fork, Michelle. You can persuade the pack horse to go that way. All right, Captain Davis. We go right. My, Jack, but we'd be in a pickle if we didn't have that pedometer. It certainly helps, Betty. Of course, if we didn't have it, we could figure out some way to know where we were. But, Jack, we might figure wrong. We might have turned to the right on the wrong fork and be really lost. With the pedometer, we know exactly where we are. That's right, and I'll bet the natives who are watching this trail know exactly where we are. They ought to. We've seen two or three of them on the hilltop signaling down to the village. But, Jack, why should they keep such a close watch on this trail? I can make a pretty good guess, Betty. If the natives of Melita are stirring up all this unrest among the tribes, they'd want to be mighty careful as to who came to their village. Oh, of course they would, Betty. And if any rifles and ammunition have been smuggled into this village, you can bet the natives of the village wouldn't want the soldiers to make a surprise raid on them. And they'd watch this trail especially, since it's the trail that the soldiers from Pettit Barracks would use. I wish that old moral peddler had stayed in Zamboanga. Then we wouldn't have had to come into this wild country to find out about Professor Laurie. But jump on Jiminy, Betty. The fact that this moral peddler is in Melita shows that he may have something to do with all this trouble. And that shows that he may be an agent of Sultan Baloa. And if Baloa is holding Professor Loring prisoner, then this moral peddler may know all about Professor Loring. Well, that's using your imagination, Billy. Anyway, we do know that this moral peddler had Professor Loring's watch, so I must know something about Professor Loring. I shouldn't wonder if he stole the watch from the professor, Uncle Jim. It's more likely that it was given to him by the chief of the tribe that captured Professor Loring. The trail takes a sharp turn ahead, Uncle Jim. I think I'll run ahead and take a look-see before the rest of you get there. We don't want to be taken by surprise. That's a good idea, Jack. I'll go up ahead with you. Michelle, wait a minute. Billy, you wait here with Betty until Jack and I see what lies around the bend in the trail. All right, Uncle Jim. And Jack, be careful that walkie-talkie radio set on your back. It may come off when you run. Not this set, Billy. It's strapped on too well. Come on, Uncle Jim. We'll see if there's an ambush. Move your pack horse to one side of the trail, Michelle. We're coming by. Uh, pull over, horse. Pull over there. Where do you go, Senor Jock? We're just going ahead to see around the bend in the trail, Michelle. You wait here till we give the all-clear signal. I don't think there's any danger, Jack, but it's just as well to make sure. We seem to be getting involved in a lot more than we figured on at first. Here, Uncle Jim. Here's a thick cluster of bushes just where the trail turns. We can look out from behind those bushes. We'll do that, Jack. If I remember that map correctly, this trail should be dropping down to the creek pretty soon. It does drop down to the creek, Uncle Jim. Well, we're almost there. Well, that creek's pretty broad, too. But look, Uncle Jim. There's a kind of suspension bridge across the creek. Imagine seeing a suspension bridge here. It's a native suspension bridge, Jack. See, it's made up of heavy vines woven together. But you'd never get a horse on that bridge. We'll have to swim the pack horse across. Boy, I hope he can swim. All of the army horses are taught to swim creeks, Jack. But what about his packs? Won't our equipment get wet? We can strap them on top of the pack carrier so they won't get wet when he swims across. Look, Uncle Jim. Look up the trail on the far side of the creek. Isn't there someone about halfway up the hill watching us? Where, Jack? Oh, I see him. Standing near that large tree. I don't think he sees us yet. He's just watching the trail. I wonder what he'll do when he does see us. We might as well find out, Jack. He's got to see us eventually. Let's step out of the bushes and let him see us. All right, Uncle Jim. We'll watch him and see what he does. There. He sees us now. He's waiting to see how many of us there are. Look, Uncle Jim, he's turned around. He's signaling to somebody further up the hill. The natives certainly have this trail under observation. But we aren't the people they're watching for, Jack. I believe they're on the lookout for the soldiers of Pettit Barracks. If the soldiers did come to search the village, Uncle Jim, I bet they wouldn't find a single suspicious thing. 
If there were any arms or ammunition there, they'd all be hidden somewhere else before the soldiers could arrive. There's no doubt about that, Jack. You may as well signal Billy and the others to come along. Wait, Uncle Jim. This is a dandy chance to try out that walkie-talkie radio set Colonel Brewster gave us. And where do I get this mic out of the pocket of the set? There. Now pull out this rod antenna. Billy sees what you're doing, Jack. He's getting his set ready to talk, too. Of course, this is no real distance at all, but we'll see how it sounds. Hey, Billy, are you listening? I'm listening, Jack. What can you see around the trail? <laughs> this is spooky, Uncle Jim. Billy's voice seems to be coming from the small of my back. <laughs> I heard that, too, Jack. I bet I can even read your thoughts with this walkie-talkie, if you think out loud. Is anybody in sight around the trail? The trail drops down to a creek, Billy. There's a native on the trail on the other side of the creek, halfway up the hill. He signaled to somebody else that he saw it. Is it all right to come ahead, Jack? Yeah, Uncle Jim says to come on ahead. And say, you'd better be prepared to get wet. We've got to swim the pack horse across the creek. Oh, swim it, Bill, mighty good now. I'm signing off, Jack. We'll be right along. Okay, signing off. Uncle Jim, shall we go down to the creek? We can pick out a good place to swim the horse across. We'll do that, Jack. I shouldn't wonder if we have some company before we get across that creek. Company? You mean... I mean I saw that native wave his arm as if to signal someone to come on. Then there must be a bunch of men on the other side of the creek, somewhere up the hillside. I think there are, Jack. Remember, we're getting pretty close to the village now. If they're on the alert, they'll want to know who we are before we get across this creek. I hope that old moral peddler doesn't learn who we are before we get a chance to speak to him. He'll certainly take to his heels if he does. I don't think he'll try to get away. If he's mixed up with this trouble, he'll be sure to stick around to see who we are. Well, there's the creek. It looks pretty swift, Uncle Jim. Do you think the horse can make it all right? He'll be carried downstream a little ways before he can get across. You and Billy and I will have to see that he makes it somehow. There comes Michelle and the pack horse now, Uncle Jim. And there's Billy and Betty. Yes, and there's another native halfway up the hill on the other side of the creek, Jack. The tribe's beginning to assemble. Let's stop now. Well, they're not really afraid of an attack yet, or they'd have cut this suspension bridge. Hey, <laughs> this is some bridge. It's darn clever the way they've used the vines to hold it up. They've made a very good suspension cable from those vines, Jack. See how they've twisted them together for the main cable? We can let Betty go across on the bridge, Uncle Jim. No use her getting all wet, too. And she can take the walkie-talkie sets and my pedometer. We don't want those things getting wet. <laughs> should say we don't. Come on, Michelle. They've got to swim that horse across. Uh, we'll be there soon, Captain Betty. Jump on Jiminy Jack. Are we going to swim the horse across that creek? That's just what we're going to do, Billy. Well, too bad he isn't a trick horse. We could take him across that homemade suspension bridge. Well, that bridge was put there just for Betty. <laughs> Listen to the horse. He doesn't want to swim that creek. He's telling me he doesn't want to. <laughs> and he's certainly making himself heard. But he'll swim it. Jump on Jiminy. Look across the creek, Betty. Over there where the trail goes up the hillside. There are two natives just standing there watching. Oh, I see him, Billy. What are they going to do, Jack? I hope they're not going to do anything, Betty. Uncle Jim thinks there will soon be a bunch of natives here. Gee, Willikins, I hope they're friendly natives. I don't know how friendly they'll be, Billy, but I don't think they'll try to harm us. The soldiers managed to keep these tribes in an order in this part of the country. Here, Betty, you take this pedometer and these portable radio packs, too. You'll have to carry them across the bridge to keep them dry. All right, Jack. You and Billy take the walkie-talkies off your backs. Here, I'll help you unstrap them. Michelle and I'll rearrange these supply packs on the horse while you're doing that, Jack. Here, Michelle, lend me a hand with the surcingle. They've got to readjust the pack carrier. They don't want these packs to get wet when we swim across. Uh, me have coppers in fairy field, but uh, me not think horse will swim cross creek. If he's been in the army long, you will, Michelle. Uh, but this deep creek, coppers in fairy field, this very sweet creek, uh, me not think horse will like. Well, we'll soon find out. Are you all ready, Uncle Jim? Just about, Jack. You'd better lead the horse into the water. You made friends with him with those lumps of sugar. Billy? You swim along on the downstream side of him. If he tries to turn around, head him off. I'll try, Uncle Jim, but I'd rather try to swim the English Channel than to get this horse across that stream. Well, it may not be as hard as you think, Billy. 
Come on, old fella. Let's see if you'll follow me into the creek. Well, there's your answer, Jack. Don't suppose yours go back. Yeah, but he's coming, Billy. He's coming slowly. Watch how he tests the creek bottom before he puts each foot down. You're doing fine, Jack. You get him in, you and Billy stay on that side of him. Michelle and I will stay on this side. He's actually going into the creek. But look, Jack, there's another native on the other side of the creek. That makes three of them. Never mind the natives, Billy. We've got to get this horse across. There, look at him. He's swimming. Stick with him, Billy. Put one hand on the pack carrier as you swim along. Hey, he is swimming, but this current is taking us downstream pretty fast. Watch it, Jack. He's trying to turn around. Hey. We were back on the other side. Look up the trail. There's a whole flock of natives now, and they're coming down here toward us. Well, they got the pack horse across the stream all right, but what next? There's a flock of tribesmen in the village coming down to meet them. And there's more than an even chance that they are not especially glad to see Jack and Uncle Jim and the others. But you can bet that Jack and Uncle Jim aren't going to turn around and go back until they find that old Moro peddler. Be sure to listen in at the same time tomorrow to another thrilling episode of the Zamboang Adventure with Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Now, have you got the Wheaties all lined up for your breakfast of champions tomorrow morning? A big bowl full of those extra good whole wheat flakes, lots of milk or cream, and a glass of fruit juice. That's your all-year-round breakfast of champions. The right breakfast for you every morning. Have you tried Wheaties? They're whole wheat with all the brand. This is Franklin McCormick saying goodbye until tomorrow for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, breakfast of champions, who have just presented another episode of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. So just buy Wheaties. The best breakfast food in the land. Wave the Piper Hudson High, boys. Show them how we... All right, Walden, step up to the microphone and do your thing. This part is yesterday USA interview with Dick Beals. I was at Jan Andy Picture Studios where I did my first picture at age seven. And there were two guys from Disney's that needed some lines picked up. And I did the lines for them. And when we were finished, I said, you know, guys, I'd sure like to go to Hollywood. If you hear of anything, call me, will you? And here came the angel voice. Mr. Beals, if you want to work in Hollywood, you have to live in Hollywood. So I thought about it, not knowing a a soul, 
what chance I would have. And I then announced to Chuck Livingston that I was uh, in over Christmas. I was going to drive down to Fort Worth and spend Christmas with my parents and then go on to Hollywood. And I, they all said, oh, don't do it. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. Everyone told me the same thing. No one said, gee, you hope you make it. But except uh, Raleigh Parker. He was saying, geez, I hope you make it. Let me know how it Call me when things happen, will you? I mean, just, he was just a neat guy. Well, I got out there, and it was just a matter of going to AFRA and getting a list of all the radio shows and all the directors and, of course, all the secretaries that were trained not to let me see a director. But I was out there on the street at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I stayed until 5. I only had enough money to last me about three months and uh, found the most inexpensive place to live I could. And I was standing on a street corner one day wondering who I was going to call on next. And one of the guys back at WXYZ had said, you know, we used to have an assistant director here named Ted Robertson. He works for McCann Erickson on the Dr. Christian show. Why don't you go see him? Well, I'd forgotten all about it, and I went in to see him. And he said, gee, I'm glad you're here. I think you'll do real well and uh, keep in touch and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't expect much in a hurry. But I'm standing on the street corner, 8 o'clock in the morning, sunset and vine, wondering where I'm going to go first. And another actor out of work was looking over my shoulder at my list. And uh, he said, you know, I don't see someone on that list. He's with Wade Advertising. His name is Forrest Owen. And he does One Man's Family and the Kurt Massey, Martha Tilton show. They don't hire many actors, but you might as well go in and see him. I said, where is he? He's that gray building right over there. Boom. I was over there knocking on the door. I went in there as secretary, receptionist, just saying, well, Mr. Owen is very busy, but he might be able to see you in the middle of May. Now, let me look at my book. Well, I knew May I'd be back in Detroit if I didn't get work. But I put it down in my very empty book and went back to the hotel that night after making calls all day and there was an old woman in the lobby that held out a wallet and he said Mr. Beals you said if I made this for you in my arts and crafts class at the senior center you'd buy it it's an all leather wallet and uh, it's only a dollar so I gave her the dollar I didn't ever remember ordering it went to my room was clean I said gee this is a nice wallet I think I'll use it so I cleaned out my old wallet, and a little piece of paper fluttered down on the floor. I picked it up, and it said, From the desk of Jack McCarthy, station manager, WXYZ, C. Forrest Owen, Wade Advertising. Well, as you know, he's not only the station manager, but he was the voice of the Green Hornet. And he mentioned, gee, Forrest Owen used to be a staff announcer here with me with Myron Wallach and Hugh Downs. Myron Wallach is now Mike Wallace. Yep. And uh, they're all gone now. Uh, Fred Boy is gone. He's a Lone Ranger announcer, as you know. Yep. But see Forrest Owen and then let me know what he's doing. Will you have him get in touch with me? Guess where I was. Guess where I was at 8 o'clock the next morning. At the same receptionist's office with that note six inches from her nose. And in a very loud, deep, authoritative voice, I said, Mr. Beals, to see Mr. Owen, tell him the Green Hornet sent me, and don't screw around with the Green Hornet. 
And 15 seconds later, she always she could have seen her walk out of that. <laughs> oh, she, her eyes were this big. Uh-huh. And she finally came back and said, Mr. Owen, we'll see you now. <laughs> well, we had a nice talk. He was also from Michigan State. He was a varsity swimmer. He graduated in 40, 1940, 41. Been in radio all his life. Uh, he was now VP radio TV advertising. And we, we talked a little bit. And Robert, Robert J. Coleman helped him get into radio also. So we had a little bit in common. Then he went to the couch, and he pulled a great big, oh, three-foot-by-two-foot full-color rendering. Of, he said, this is going to be our new product spokesman for Alka-Seltzer. It's called Speedy Alka-Seltzer. I wish you'd been here in November. We closed the auditions on Thanksgiving, and I would have liked to have heard you audition, but it's too late now. We've closed the auditions, but thanks for coming in come around and see me on the Kurt Massey show once in a while. Mm-hmm. Out the door I went, figuring, God, gone it. And two weeks later, I got a call as I was about to go in for dinner, and he said, uh, Dick, this is Forrest Owen. I'm going to be over at Radio Recorders doing some one-man family spots with the uh, Alka-Seltzer spots with the one-man family cast. Why don't you come on over and we'll try something for Speedy? I thought, jeez, I'll be there. So I was there. He excused the staff, the, the, the cast of One Man's Family, and he told me, here's what we want. We want a lovable, trustworthy businessman that if you say take Alka-Seltzer, they're going to believe you and why it's a good product, and here's the script, and here's the lyrics to the song, and you figure out what you're going to do. And he turned his back and went into the control room, and there was no piano, but it didn't do me any good. I didn't have a, I didn't read music, but it was the, the tune of Alouette, Alouette, Jatouette, Alouette, Jatouette, So I knew the song. Right. And uh, he said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. And I just want to remind you of what we worked on at Michigan State for three and a half years. That very moment was what we rehearsed for three and a half years, except I didn't get 10 seconds, I got 30 seconds. But it was take direction willingly, listen to what the man wants, and then do it. And he said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. He says, okay, this Dick Beals is speedy, take one. And I read the copy. Then I went, Alka-Seltzer, speedy Alka-Seltzer, got a headache, take it for relief. When a headache comes along, get relief, and sing this song, Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> Dead silence. And I looked in, he looked at Don Thompson, the engineer, and they both nodded. He said, thanks for coming in, Dick. Now would you go get the one-man family cats and send them back in? Um, I was also taught to do this. Uh, Mr. Owen, I have other voices I'd like to try. No, thank you for coming in, Dick. We'll see you. Come on over and see us one of these days. Okay, goodbye. I was so disappointed that I got in the car, I couldn't even start it. I was just sick. I, my one shot at a product spokesman, and I, I blew it. And I forgot all about it. I thought, well, someone else got the job. But then in May, the phone rang, and it was that same receptionist. Mr. Beals, Mr. Owen, I'd like to speak to you. Hi, Dick, this is Forrest Owen. I just want you to know that Miles Laboratories has selected you as the voice of Speedy Alka-Seltzer. And I couldn't believe it. It wasn't until, that was May of 52, but it wasn't until March. Well, it was test marketed over the winter on all the Western radio stations from Seattle down to San Diego. And it just 
uh, blew the marketeers to pieces. They were selling Alka-Seltzer more than they'd ever had. And uh, so they knew it was a good thing, but then they got to work on it. And we'd, on my birthday in 1953, March 16th, uh, Sunday, because uh, Geese Country Washburn and his orchestra had to get to work, and Bill Lee and Thurl Ravenscroft and the Mellow Men had a big assignment on Monday. So we did it uh, from about 10 until 2, and we did four spots. And uh, Charles Chaplin was the director, Swift Chaplin, and Forrest Owen was right there, and uh, we did the four. And they were on in about May, and that was just the very beginning. It did quadrupled Alka-Seltzer sales the first year and quadrupled Alka-Seltzer sales the second year. But if it hadn't been for that little piece of paper fluttering down to the floor, I would never have gone in to see Forrest Owen. Absolutely. What about Virginia Gregg? I know she played a pretty big role for you in Hollywood. Oh, you're absolutely right, but I want to add one thing. Sure. Uh, about 10 minutes before Bill called, I was on the phone with my very closest friend, Forrest Owen. Oh, yeah. He uh, uh, knows I want to get a, a yacht, and uh, he's giving me all the recommendations because he has a gorgeous 30-foot Catalina. But he's my very closest friend. He's one of the neatest guys I've ever known. He's 82, going on 83 and uh, lives nearby up in Dana Point. Jenny uh, Gregg was in that... Here's Walden. Here's the victors of Ozzy and Harriet from November 7th, 1948. Oh, thanks, Ricky. I bet I know what we're going to have, too. Orange juice, boiled eggs, toast, and coffee. We forgot something very important. For breakfast? Well, we're not going to eat it, but it's on the table, and we can't eat without it. Oh, you're so right. Not only that, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. <laughs> with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Nelson household at 1847 Rogers Road. It's just a little past breakfast time. David and Ricky are outside somewhere, and Ozzie and Harriet are just finishing their coffee. More coffee, dear? No, thanks. You didn't finish your eggs, did you? No, I had plenty, thanks. How come you fried them this morning? Oh, I don't know, dear. It's just as you've had boiled eggs every morning for so long, I thought I'd give you a little change and fry them. You didn't like them, did you? Well, I, I ate them. Most of them? <laughs> yes, but you didn't like them, I could tell. You didn't smile. Well, I never smile when I'm eating eggs. 
Not as unless it's a wide egg sandwich. Or <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you might like them a little different for a change. Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with them. It's, well, it's just you sort of get used to a certain breakfast. I just figure why change something just for the sake of changing. Suppose that's a masculine attitude. Personally, I kind of like to do things differently once in a while. Get a fresh outlook. Maybe I'm just in a reckless mood today. I've even been thinking of having my hair cut. How do you think I'd look with one of the new short haircuts? Well, I... I wouldn't want you to get a crew cut. <laughs> Don't be silly, dear. You know I never get a crew cut in the winter. It's much too cold. I'm surprised you haven't noticed, though. No, practically all the girls are wearing shorter hairdos lately. Women are sure hard to figure out. Men like women with long hair and short skirts. And look what happened. <laughs> Psychology, dear. Women do the opposite to get the things they want. Look at the attention women have had in the past two years. I suppose so. Then you don't want me to get my hair cut. Well, I don't care. After all, it's your head. Funny thing, I noticed that when I was brushing my teeth this morning. <laughs> you asked me for my opinion. I told you. I like your hair the way it is. If you want to get it cut, for goodness sakes, go ahead. It's your head. Oh, I, I said that. <laughs> you know, it's funny how men get set in their ways seems to be a masculine trait to resist any sort of a change. You're used to boiled eggs, fried won't do. You're used to seeing my hair long, so you don't want me to get it cut. Well, it isn't a question of men being set in their ways. At least I'm not. I, I just, I like my eggs boiled. I've liked them boiled for years. Just because I like the same things year after year doesn't mean I'm set in my ways. What does it mean? Well, it means I'm in a rut. I'm, I, I, I just like certain things. Fact of the matter is, I don't care how you fix my eggs, and I don't care how you wear your hair. Have it cut short, fry it, boil it, toast it. It's nothing to get excited about. I'm not getting excited. You said I was set in my ways because I like boiled eggs, and it isn't true. To show you tomorrow, you can fix my eggs any way you want to. Fry them, scramble them, or poach them. It won't make a bit of difference because I won't eat them. <laughs> Don't lean on the wet paint. Huh? Oh, I painted your fence. I thought you just painted it last spring. It's Catherine's idea. It was green before to match the lawn. Now she wants it white. Expects to have a lot of snow this winter. <laughs> Women get some great ideas, don't they? Yeah, you never know what they're going to think of next. So changeable. One day it's one thing, the next day it's something else. They're never satisfied to leave things as they are. Yeah, that's feminine nature, I suppose. Let me ask you one thing, Thorny. How do you like your eggs cooked? Sunny side up. Are we going to eat here in the yard? <laughs> now, I happen to be a guy who likes boiled eggs in the morning All of a sudden, out of a clear sky, I get fried eggs this morning Well, I hope you didn't take a thing like that sitting down on If I were you, I'd object plenty Run an ad in the paper I will not be responsible for any eggs fried by my wife <laughs> Not only the eggs, it's a whole big silly thing What would you say, Thorny, if your wife walked up right now and said she wanted to have her hair cut? Would you object? Oh, I certainly would. I'd put my foot down. I'd tell her positively not. That's right, Thorny, because you like her hair the way it is, nice and long. Well, not necessarily long, Oz. I just wanted to have hair. She had it cut yesterday. <laughs> just because I like Harriet's hair the way it is and my eggs boiled, right away I'm set in my ways. You've known me for years, Thorny. Am I set in my ways? 
Am I a stick in the mud, a fuddy-duddy, narrow-minded? The answer is no. Oz, if you ask me a question, let me answer. <laughs> you feel that you're set in your ways, Barney? Not necessarily. Of course not, but women don't see it that way. Just because a guy enjoys boiled eggs in the morning, they want to change him, switch to fried eggs. Does that make any sense? No. There you go answering it. <laughs> this is Wednesday. We go bowling tonight. We bowl every Wednesday night. Does that mean that we're... No. That we're set in our ways? <laughs> Beat you that time. <laughs> I'm on my way down to the drugstore to get some ice cream, vanilla and chocolate. I always get vanilla and chocolate simply because I like vanilla and chocolate. Doesn't mean I'm set in my ways. I'll walk you down, Oz. I think the new Esquire magazine is in. Oh, thank you. <laughs> See, there you are. You always walk me down on Wednesday. It just happens that Esquire magazine usually comes in on a Wednesday. Doesn't mean that you're set in your ways. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to buy Esquire. You could buy the ladies' home journal if you wanted to. Well, sure, if I was a lady. <laughs> I mean, if you really wanted to, you could buy the ladies' home journal instead of Esquire. You could do it because you aren't set in your ways. But I like Esquire, huh? Yeah, but you could buy the ladies' home journal, though, Thorny. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, I don't think I'll walk you down to the drugstore today. <laughs> Why not? I have a feeling I'd come home with the ladies' home journal. <laughs> surroundings, he's much more apt to like it. Oh, just like your father. I remember I wanted new kitchen linoleum once, so I had the man put it down. Had her all waxed before your father came home. Did he like it? I think he would have if he hadn't broken his arm when he walked in. <laughs> but I think you're doing a smart thing, dear. I hope so. I figure it's worth trying anyway. Let me know how it works out. Okay, Mother. Goodbye. Oh, hello, Emmy Lou. Have a copy, Mr. Nelson. Be sure and go down to the Bijou this week. They have a picture there that's simply terrific. Oh, really? Oh, it's so good. It's a return engagement of a re-release of a remake by special request of the manager. Oh, uh, what's the name of it? Tyrone Power. That's a good name for a picture. <laughs> oh, it's such a wonderful movie, Mr. Nelson. Somebody ought to make a book out of it. It's about a man, a man who's completely irresponsible. Oh, I just adore irresponsible men. Ah! And, 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 
irresponsible woman? But I've got to go down to the drugstore. Oh, he was so romantic, so unpredictable. Toward the end of the picture, he held the girl in his arms, and everyone in the theater thought they'd get married. But they didn't. He didn't even kiss her. Maybe he ran out of matches. <laughs> you should have seen him. He wouldn't work. He was undependable. He was fickle. He had bad habits. He beat her. He was irresponsible. He didn't earn a living. He borrowed money from her. He told lies. He cheated. He gambled. to say that women really think that kind of a man is more attractive? Of course they do. What fun is a man who does exactly the same thing every day? What fun is it when you know exactly when your husband is coming home? Oh, say, that reminds me. I'm late now. It takes all the uh, joy out of life to have a dull, stodgy, conservative husband. Women like thrills, excitement. They like a man who's impetuous, gay, devil may care. Watch your language, Emmy Lou. <laughs> they like a wild life with an exciting man. A man who does fantastically imaginative, unpredictable things. I imagine you were that way when you were young, weren't you, Mr. Nelson? What do you mean when I was young, Emmy Lou? I'm not so dependable. I'm not set in my ways. Nobody knows what I'm going to do next. Let me show you something. Yeah, better like pull up my trouser legs. Yeah, look at those garters. One green, one rubber band. <laughs> Uh, down the drugstore and get the ice cream for dinner. Oh, yes, a pint of chocolate and a pint of vanilla. No. There's where you're wrong. I'm getting a quart of Tutti Frutti. <laughs> oh, Mr. Nelson, you're so Could it be possible that from now on there'll be a new Ozzy? A fascinating, unpredictable Ozzy who will always go for the new and different? Well, that I want to see. Yep, that I want to see. Almost as much as I want you people to see International Sterling's beautiful Joan of Arc pattern. Joan of Arc was discontinued during the war, but now it's back again. Back at your request. A sort of command performance. And what a stunning thing it is. Just look how beautifully the shell ornament is carved. See how graceful are the lines from tip to bowl. Every detail of Joan of Arc is finished to perfection, back as well as front. It's the solid silver you dreamed of. A perfect example of why, when it comes to a choice of sterling patterns, so many women select international sterling. If you haven't yet chosen your family silver, visit your international sterling dealer tomorrow. See Joan of Arc and find out about the easy payment terms. You'll never be so proud of your table as the day you set it with International Sterling's magnificent and widely acclaimed pattern, Joan of Arc. Something very mysterious has happened to that solid, dependable citizen, Ozzie Nelson. 
For eight years now, on Wednesday night, Ozzie would walk into Miller's Drugstore, go over to the soda fountain, and buy two pints of ice cream, one chocolate and one vanilla. But tonight, the routine has been broken. Ozzie's set pattern of living has come unstitched. Instead of two pints, one chocolate, and one vanilla, he stepped up to the counter and said, Give me a quart of Tutti Frutti. <laughs> what frivolity! What irresponsibility! But if you think that was unpredictable, listen to what he did as he was leaving the store. Instead of walking to the door, looking over his left shoulder and saying, Goodbye, George, as he's done for the past eight years, Ozzie walked to the door, looked over his right shoulder, and said, So long, Charlie. <laughs> Mom, how come Pop hasn't come home yet? I don't know, David. He should have gotten back from the drugstore at 5.30. It's almost quarter six. Maybe he had an accident. Oh, Pop wouldn't have an accident on his bowling night. That's right. He only has accidents when spring cleaning comes around. <laughs> have you told Pop about the rug yet, Mom? No, and don't you either. I want to surprise him. A man's coming tonight to put the rug down while your father's bowling. So let's not say anything about it and spoil a surprise, huh? Okay, you better tell Ricky, though. He's such a blabber, Mom. Oh, yeah? Hey, I think that's Pop now. I hear a car out front. Oh, no, it couldn't be, Daddy. He didn't take the car today. Me, he bought a new one. Hi there, everybody. Hello, dear. Hi, Hi Pop. Hi, Pop. What was the car out in front? Thorny bring you home? No. You know how irresponsible I am, Harriet. On an impulse of the moment, I took a cab home. Clear from downtown? No, from the drugstore down at the corner. <laughs> you called a cab just to drive up the hill? Yeah, wasn't that a silly thing to do? I don't know why I do those things. I'm just so unpredictable. You better give me that ice cream. I predict it'll be dripping on the floor. Ice cream? Ice cream? Oh, yes, the package here. Here, take this, David. I'm so irresponsible lately. Hey, Pop, what kind of ice cream is this? Oh, that's uh, Tutti Frutti, David. What's Tutti Frutti? It's uh, ice cream with uh, little pieces of uh, fruity and, and uh, chunks of Tutti all mixed <laughs> How come you didn't get chocolate and vanilla, Pop? I thought Tutti Frutti would be nice for a change. See, I don't know how I'm going to like Tutti Frutti. Well, you'd better like it, Ricky. If you don't eat your Tutti Frutti ice cream, you won't get any dessert. No, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Harriet, if the boys don't eat their dessert, what don't they get? They don't get any carrots. Don't get your carrots. Well, put the ice cream in the refrigerator, will you, Dave? <clears throat> I think I'll sit down on the floor and read the paper. The floor? What's wrong with a chair? Oh, I always sit in a chair to read. I'll try the floor for a change. You want the back section of the paper, dear? Mozzie, that isn't the evening bugle. No, I didn't get the bugle. But you always get the evening bugle. Well, I didn't this time. I got the morning trombone. <laughs> I think it's called Tribune, dear. Tribune, trombone, what's the difference? <laughs> Both musical instruments. Yeah, let's see what's in the paper. Are you comfortable, dear? Well, of course I'm comfortable. Why shouldn't I be comfortable? Well, aren't you going to take off your overcoat? Why? Is there any law that says a man has to take off his overcoat? I just feel like wearing my overcoat. What happened? Did you forget to put on your pants? <laughs> I just feel like wearing my overcoat. Ozzie, what's the matter with you? Nothing, dear. Can I help it if I'm irresponsible, unpredictable? Who said you were? Well, I really am. Nobody knows what I'll do next. Well, I do. You'll wash your hands for dinner. It'll be ready in a few minutes. Uh, what time are we having dinner tonight? Same time we have it every night, 6 o'clock. 
Let's have it at nine instead. <laughs> well, do you think you can hold off until nine o'clock? No, not nine o'clock. Uh, nine minutes after six. <laughs> you want to start living on a precise schedule, doing the same things day in and day out? That's be a little different. It's all right with me, dear. In fact, when I wash my hands, you know what I'm going to do? I can't imagine. I'm going to dry them on hers. <laughs> Ricky, do you want to spoil the surprise? Well, Daddy always leaves to the bowling alley promptly at 8 o'clock, so I told the man to get here a little after 8. Harriet! In here! Uh, Harriet, have you seen my banjo anyplace? Banjo? <laughs> I didn't know you had one. Oh, yes. I thought I'd get it out and play a few tunes. You know, something a little different. Well, you don't have time. Have you forgotten tonight is your bowling night? Oh, my goodness, it's 8 o'clock. You'd better hurry, dear. I put your shoes and the bowling ball right by the front door. You don't even have to go upstairs. You don't understand, Harriet. I'm not going bowling tonight. But you have to. The man is... I mean, that is... What man? That man that lives next door. Yes, that's it. Thorny. You wouldn't want to disappoint Thorny, your old pal. Yeah, that would be a dirty trick, wouldn't it? Well, if you insist... Harriet, stop pushing me. I wasn't pushing you, dear. I was... Just patting you on the back because it's so good of you not to disappoint a friend. It's the first time I've ever been patted on the back with two hands and a knee. Seems <laughs> <laughs> like you're awful anxious to get me out of the house. Oh, don't be ridiculous. David, get your father's hat. Here it is, Mama. I got it right here. Here, Papa, I'll help you on with your coat. Uh, I don't think I'll wear a coat. I know it's cold out, but I'm so unpredictable. Well, you better carry it on your arm. Now, hurry, dear. You want to keep the other man waiting. Good night, Pop. Good night, dear. Family is getting unpredictable. What happened, Dodge? You didn't stop by for me. Oh, I was just on my way over, Thorny. So we're a few minutes late. Who cares? You know, it's a funny thing. Harriet... Something the matter? That man over there. I think he's looking for an address or something. Uh, pardon me, gentlemen. Could you tell me... Say, aren't you Thornbury? Well, yes, but well, I don't... Don't you remember me? Mulligan. I was the other end man at the Elks Mistress Show. Oh, of course. How are you? Glad to see you. <laughs> this is Mr. Nelson. Oh, glad to know you. Glad. Oh, I remember you, Mulligan. Didn't you do the ringmaster in, in the big circus number two? <laughs> That's right. Well, sure, you were the head of the show. Oh, <laughs> go away now. Toward nothing at all. See, what are you doing over in this neck of the woods? Well, I came over here to deliver a rug. Some woman had to have it put down tonight. Her husband's a bonehead that don't like to have things changed around. <laughs> What's the address on it? Uh, 1847 Rogers Road. Name's Nelson. Do you know them, Mr. Nelson? <laughs> yes, that's my house. Oh, they're yours? The... <laughs> <laughs> no offense at what I said, Mr. Nelson. I didn't know you were the bonehead. <laughs> no wonder Harriet was so anxious to get me out of the house. She pulled a fast one, huh? That's what she thinks, Tony. But I just thought of a terrific gag we could pull. Mr. Mulligan, would you care to join us? Thanks, I'd be glad to. I better make mine a short one, though, during working hours. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> no I mean in, in the gag. Now, listen here. You've all heard the expression, snug as a bug in a rug. Well, you and Mulligan carry the rug... 
Put the lamp in the dining room, David. I want the floor in here as clear as possible. What am I doing with this footstool, Mom? You better put that in the dining room, too. See, the dining room's starting to look like the living room. Or the attic. Come on, Slowpoke. I'm just going to do all the work. Now, cut it out, you guys. I'll send you book today. Just a minute. Mrs. Nelson? Oh, yes. Good evening. Would you just bring the rug in here, please? Well, Thorny, what are you doing? Oh, I met Mulligan outside, and I just thought I'd give him a hand. You know, these rugs are pretty heavy. I'm sorry about making you deliver it tonight, Mr. Mulligan. Oh, that's all right. I wasn't doing anything in particular. Just eating dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Careful with that end, Mr. Thornberry. What makes the rug so lumpy? Oh, that. Well, uh, you you uh, see, when they put... What does make the rug so lumpy, Mr. Thornberry? Well, it is probably just the um, uh, underpad. They sometimes get bunched up when the rug is rolled. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. That happens all the time. Now, if you'll just step to one side, Mrs. Nelson, we'll unroll the rug for you. No, no, don't unroll it. Just stand it there in the corner. (laughs) Stand it in the corner? But I don't remember which end of the head. I mean, the... (laughs) the upper doesn't like it, Mr. Mulligan will just have to come back tomorrow and roll it up again. Just throw it in the corner until I find out how Ozzy likes it. Believe me, Harry, he's going to like it a lot better on roll. <laughs> oh, but, Thorny, he's such an unpredictable person. He might not even want a new rug. Oh, let him unroll it, Mom. Please, Mom, we want to see it. Well, okay, unroll it. Huh, hurry up, Mulligan, let's go. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, i got to make me speech. <clears throat> and now, ladies and gentlemen, the wonder of the age. You are about to witness the only time in history a man, cold sober, mind you, has been rolled in his own living room. He... Oh! Surprise, everybody. Surprise, Ozzy! Water. Ozzy was rolled up in the rug. Oh, clear water. Oh, how clever. Surprise. Oh, Ozzy, how unpredictable. <laughs> mad at me for buying the rug? No, dear. Go to sleep. How do you like it? Like what? The new rug. Well, it, it's a little tight through the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> kind of warm and scratchy, but it's a nice rug to be rolled up in. You like the color? Oh, black is all right. <laughs> beige. Look black where I was. <laughs> Tell me truthfully, dear... Do you like the rug? Yes, I, I really do. I've never been smothered by a nicer one. I was a little worried after the way you talked at breakfast. Men always seem to resist changes of any kind around the house. I guess that's the way nature works it out. Women are fundamentally insecure, so they want to change everything. Men like things comfortable, familiar. Sometimes I even make believe I don't notice new things, but I do. Oh, darling, I'm so glad you said that. I was afraid you hadn't noticed my hair. Your hair? (laughs) Yes, I was afraid you might not like it cut short. What are you doing? Uh, uh, Just going to turn the light on for a minute. I pulled out the plug. (laughs) Now tell me, do you think I should get my hair cut? Harriet, don't be silly. (laughs) You think I didn't notice that you got your hair cut short? You like it, dear? Very much. 
Harriet. Yes, dear? Did you really get it cut? <laughs> no, I didn't, dear, but now that I know how much you like it, I'll have it cut first thing in the morning. <laughs> If you want to see a picture of real bewilderment, just take a look at Ozzie Nelson. <laughs> I bet he looks about the same way my husband did last night when I met him at the door in my best dinner dress. Well, didn't he know you were going to a party? We weren't. That's why he was so bewildered. He couldn't imagine why I'd get so dressed up when nobody was coming. But I think you'll understand, Mr. Smith, because yesterday was the day I received my set of International Sterling's wonderful Joan of Arc pattern. I couldn't treat that just like any old silverware. Oh, indeed you couldn't. Joan of Arc is the kind of silver pattern that deserves a celebration. It's one of the most enchanting designs International Sterling has ever created. Why, you should have seen the letters that came in during the war when Joan of Arc wasn't available. You'd think women just couldn't bear to entertain without Joan of Arc. I know. I wrote one of them. And weren't you surprised to find out how easy it was to buy? Amazed would be more like it. Why, just and all, my service cost under $169. And I didn't have to pay for it all at once, either. My international sterling dealer and I worked out a wonderfully convenient payment plan. Yes, I hope anybody who thinks this beautiful Joan of Arc pattern is out of her reach will drop in at her international sterling dealers. She'll soon see how easy it is to own and how thrilling, too. Because this is the solid silver with beauty that lives forever. It's international sterling. I guess I'm just an old stick in the mud or a creature of habit or something. This is the kind of a breakfast I like. Well, that's good, dear. No surprises or changes. My two medium-boiled eggs. Not too hard, not too soft. Always the same. My coffee, exactly the same flavor and consistency. Ah, oh, you're wonderful, dear. Even the toast never varies. Always the same. Will you pass me the toast, David, please? Thank you. Tune <laughs> in again next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is... International Sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Tommy Bernard, Henry Blair, Janet Waldo, Lorene Tuttle, and Jack Kirkwood. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is Burn Smith speaking. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Here's Walden. Have the adventure of Ozzie and Harriet from November 7, 1948. I'm Wong Zhu, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday USA.
If you would like to get in contact with Walden, his email is walden1 at yesterdayusa.com. His studio telephone number is 714-545-2071. And his home address is 2527 Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. I am Kim Bragg, and thanks for the memories, Walden. Cheerio, toodaloo. Thank you so much. Yesterday, USA. Superstation. Well, thank you, Walden Hughes, and your great announcer, the Kimaloo. By golly, uh, Kim is going to uh, be going into the hospital during this two-week period. She's got to have her third round at sinus surgery. So we ask, please, for your prayers and your support, and your good thoughts. Will you do that? Really would, really would appreciate that. Well, it was a tough week financially. A tough two weeks, actually. During the last two-week period, we had to spend $700 for a brand-new computer for the Saturday-Sunday lineup. We began to wonder if we were even going to have programming on the weekend. Also, we had to spend $200 for technical support and then um, $90 to try and fix the old computer. So $700, $200, and then $90. Well, we are thankful to Misty Walker who donated $20 to Bob Bro, also donating $20, and to Gene Ward, who sent in a $60 check. If you'd like to help us out, here's how to do it. Cash check or money order should be mailed directly here to the radio station at 2001, that's 2001, 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive. The city is Richardson, Texas, Spelled just like it sounds, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N, Richardson, Texas. The zip code is 750-81-USA. If you'd like to go online and help us out right now with a credit card, here's how to do that. Our um, website is www.yesterdayusa.com. Right down there in the bottom left-hand corner, it says Donate Money Now. Click there and use your visa Master Charge, American Express, or Discover. Nice letters during this two-week period. Wanda wrote in to tell us how much she likes the Easy Aces. We told her, and I'll tell you now. If you'd like to make a request, contact one of our DJs directly. All of their uh, addresses, many of their phone numbers, are listed within the contact information on our website at yesterdayusa.com. Dr. Philip Anderson, the executive director of the Idaho Academy of Science, wrote in. This is not his first letter. He says, God bless and keep on keeping on. He's been a longtime supporter here of us, too. We've got a newbie, Daniel Floyd, and his son have just discovered the Twilight Zones that we play on Saturday. Uh, he wanted to know about the repeats. We've contacted the uh, Twilight Zone people to find out what's going on there, and I'm sure we'll get that situation corrected. John Williams, he's a 42-year-older. He writes uh, that he is uh, beginning to get reacquainted with his youth, thanks to Yesterday USA. He and his 13-year-old daughter 
don't watch much television anymore because Yesterday USA is the best OTR site on the Internet. And Charles Coleman told us about a place that you can dial a telephone number and listen to Yesterday USA. We're going to check that out and let you know more about it. And finally, Lisa wrote that uh, we had talked about two years ago when uh, we were all going through uh, cancer, and she is going through it again. And she just wanted to say thank you for being there. She calls Kim and I two great pioneers and two great people. Lisa, I'll be praying for you as you fight lymphoma. God bless you, dear. Okay, let's uh, get back to the good stuff here on Yesterday USA.